to the Bible Feed podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Okay, so welcome to the uh, Bible Feed podcast. Um, we say in our little introduction that we're, we're all about uh, conversations about the Bible and, and faith in the modern world. And, and we, so we talk about the Bible and faith and beliefs and all those kind of biblical concepts. But all of that is, is built on a, fu- a foundation. Um, and that foundation is that it, it's reasonable to say yes to the question, is there a God? And that has to be a reasonable thing to say, a reasonable conclusion to come to uh, for everything else that we talk about, the Bible and faith and belief and uh, theological concepts, all of that stuff uh, to, to follow and to make sense. So that's what we're going to talk about in this uh, in this episode. Uh, I'm Paul Davenport and I'm joined by Sam Day. Delighted to have you. Hello, Sam. Hello, Paul. And, Thanks for having uh, me. It's, it's a pleasure. And, and we're going to talk about three classic arguments for God. Um, but before we get into, into them, Sam, why don't you kick us off with, with just thinking about how do you even start to approach a question like that? Is there a God? Okay. Um, well, the, the very the kind of the first thing that I probably say, which which sa- might sound shocking to some people, but it is that we'd like we kind of alluded to this, but we want to av- avoid um, biblical arguments for God. Sure, um, and that is because I suppose when we when we think of the Bible as a kind of collection of books, it's it's written to the to kind of the people of God. Um, it's not. Uh, it's not a book that is trying to kind of uh, argue for the existence of God. It's not, that's not what it's doing. Right. What it's doing is it's, um, it's 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 speaking to believers and it's giving them more profound kind of insights to the nature of this God and his purpose, his plan, what he's done in the past, what he's going to do in the future and our kind of position in it. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's not, that's not the purpose of, of kind of scripture to give you reasons why God exists. Really, you come to the Bible already believing in God and to find out more about him. So um, yeah, you can also highlight um, the, the kind of the danger that you, can, you might fall into kind of a trap of circular reasoning when you use the Bible to kind of argue sure. for God's existence. Okay. So I might say, well, like read the very first verse of, of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse one. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and say, well, there's a good reason why I might believe in God. Not only believe in God, but believe that he created the world. But someone can easily just say, well, why do you believe that? And, you know, a typical response might be, well, I believe that the Bible speaks truth because mm-hmm. it's of divine origin. Yeah. It's it's the words of God. But you can see what I'm doing. I'm, I'm yeah. presupposing the existence of God in order to use the Bible to argue for the existence of God, just going round and round. So yeah. what, what we really need to do is, is have objective reasons um, from kind of from... Uh, evidence from the world around us that anyone whether you know whatever their background whether or not they're uh, an atheist or a theist or they've been brought up to believe whatever we, we want people regardless of kind of their worldview to be able to look at this evidence um and observe kind okay. of the, the the world around them that's that's what we're kind of okay um, something ob- objective and, and, and universally accessible yeah. as, as evidence cool. yeah um and the, the second point I suppose to make would be when we come to think about these arguments for God's existence from 
um, these more objective reasons is that they are, they can be quite complicated and they can be quite uh, philosophical that philosophers yeah. have these reasons yeah. for God and um, uh, that can put a lot of people off when you when you see how they can sometimes be presented in a very kind of philosophical and formal way but th- what's useful about them is that in their simplest form they're really appealing to uh, kind of premises that are, just seem so intuitive and so instinctively true okay. so in that way that they're quite powerful um, yeah, okay so, so, so they, they have a sort of inherent simplicity and I suppose again in our introduction we say that you know what, what we're about is uh, is ordinary people trying to understand yeah. these things better rather than um, highly trained philosophers or, or scientists so so let's, let's get into the three arguments that we want to consider so so which one uh, do you want to start with so um, um, the first argument uh, is called cosmological argument for God's existence and okay. this is um, <laughs> sounds fancy but um, <laughs> it's re- it's really quite simply uh, it's a type of argument so there's types of cosmological argument um, and it's an argument that is suggesting that God is the best explanation for the existence of the universe. That uh, and it's it's really appealing to kind of the premise that um, uh, something can't come from nothing. That that okay. seems to be a silly, a silly thing to say. So it so seems to be reasonable. So it's, a, it's an explanation for why there is something rather than nothing. Yeah. So the existence is something. It's a yeah. it's a big something. It's complicated. It's very big. But it doesn't have to be. It's it, it's still just a whole bunch of kind of. Uh, lots of contingent things that depend on other things for their existence. So even when we take the whole of the universe, it still needs to have an explanation for its existence. Sure, okay. Um, And so the argument uh, is saying the the universe needs to have an explanation. And when you think about what that cause of the universe or explanation would be, it would have to be something that causes the entirety of of space and time, the entire universe. So it would be, um, the the cause therefore would have to be uh, something that exists outside of time outside of space so it's a spaceless timeless okay. um, uncaused uh, cause um, it would also have to be really powerful in order to bring into existence the entire universe mm. so um, so yeah th- there's a, a type of cosmological argument called the Kalam cosmological argument and um, that argument is similar but it's arguing against the possibility of an actual infinite number of things so that's slightly different in that it's saying the universe had to have had a beginning um, uh, and that is because if it didn't have a beginning, if it if it existed infinitely into the past, that would mean that there, there would need to be uh, an infinite number of past events. But the problem with this is that infinity um, is like a concept that exists in mathematics. But it's it, you know there are good reasons to think that infinity can't actually exist as, a, as an actual number of things. So. Okay. It, if you had um, an infinite number of past kind of days, we'd never really have got to today if we're kind of slowly working through day after day after day, or we wouldn't have got to today. So there's kind of reasons why infinity is kind of a really problematic idea. Um, So the Kalam cosmological argument is saying that uh, the universe can't have existed infinitely into the past. There must have been a beginning and that um, that explanation um, therefore must be timeless. Yeah. Okay, so, which, which is actually consistent with the general consensus uh, in terms of the scientific view of the, the universe and its past, it, which is that it had a beginning and, and that, you know, there's, there's evidence that, that can be put forward now around the um, cosmic background radiation and so on, which indicate that the universe had a beginning, however many billion years ago, 16 billion years ago. So, so that's so. Although that Kalam argument is a philosophical yeah. 
argument against the universe having always existed in a steady state. Yeah. Um, the the idea that the universe had a beginning is is consistent with the scientific consensus view of, of, of the universe. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. both both science, yeah. there are science there's scientific reasons and philosophical reasons why yeah. um, that kind of premise that the universe had a beginning okay. is true. Yeah. And and so if if the universe had a beginning then we require it begs the question we require an explanation for yeah sorry for i didn't what, mention that that was what caused that that beginning that's right that first um the kalam argument is um uh prem- is initially the first premise of the argument is that everything that begins to exist has to have a cause yeah. um, then you can show that the universe must have uh, had a beginning. Begin- yeah. yeah, had a beginning, and yeah. therefore the universe had a cause. And that cause, when when you think about what that would be, as we've mentioned, yeah. it, it must be this kind of yeah. powerful, spaceless, timeless kind of explanation. So, so really, then the so accepting that the universe had a beginning and, and, and therefore needs a cause. The question is about what is the nature of of that cause. And you've already said, well, it must be something that's outside of the construct of yeah. our universe, which is around space time. Um, but you also said it's powerful. And I guess that's self-evident, really. Mm. Um, it, it must have been a powerful cause. Is, is that is that as far as that argument can go? It, um, something outside space and time with power was the was the cause of the universe. So, um, you, so the Kalam version of it actually does go further because it argues for um, that, that this cause would be um, personal. That would be another attribute, um, which seems kind of at first to be strange. Why would it have to be personal? But when you think about the types of explanation that, that kind of give rise to a certain effect, um, you can have scientific explanations for things which are um, right. like uh, the you know, laws of nature that act on certain kind of conditions. Yeah. Um, but you can also have um, personal explanations so which is you know like a, an agent that freely chooses to do something and that is that's also a valid explanation so um, when we're talking about the you know the cause of the whole universe of all of time and space it couldn't be a scientific explanation because before the beginning of the universe there are no there is no universe for any laws to kind of work upon there's no initial yeah. conditions so um, do, do you want to give give an example of okay a personal explanation versus a scientific explanation just um okay so um i think uh say like um you could ask the question um you know why can i hear music um and a, uh, and one possible explanation would be well there's a string which is vibrating that that string is causing um, uh, um sound waves to pass and you know travel through the air through to my ear and my ear is um you know there's those vibrations are passing into my ear and, and uh my brain's kind of it's, uh the it, yeah well actually i'm not a scientist the hair follicles in the ear pick up on those vibrations and sends electric electric stuff to yeah. my brain i interpret that as sound yeah. right you get i mean i <laughs> Uh, a scientist could explain that better but yeah. you get the point that would be like yeah. a kind of scientific explanation but the same question could be asked oh why can i hear music and you could be like well so and so is playing the piano so right um okay so and, and they're, in, but they're both valid explanations yeah that they both explain the fact that you can hear music that yeah. they're both true but they're different yeah and, and I, in, in some ways the second expert that personal type of explanation is is more interesting <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. it, you know, it, why why are they playing? You know, why why you you might have an emotional res- response to whatever it is that's being played, whether it's yeah. being played, played well or not, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and uh, things like that. So, so okay, so that that's that's good. So that's that's helpful in distinguishing between those 
this. Yes. So, so, so the Kalam argument suggests that a personal type of explanation can be inferred from the kind of cause that gave the universe a beginning. So. Yeah. Uh, that, so well, the, the, the only reason I gave it was really because when, there are only really two types of explanation. Mm. And it, I, you know, because of the negation of a scientific explanation, you're left with um, a personal explanation. But there are other reasons why, you know, that support that this cause would have to be a personal explanation. I suppose it has to do with um, the idea that this cause needs to kind of, there needs to be, um, if it was some kind of mechanism that existed timelessly, because that's one of the aspects of this cause, any effect would also exist simultaneously with it. So mm. uh, like, for example, if we're talking about that string that's vibrating and causing sound waves to pass, if, if, if the mechanism, um, if the cause is a, a mechanism like a vibrating string uh, that exists timelessly, then any effect is also going to exist with it. So yeah. that's not what that. But the problem with that is that we have we've got a beginning of the universe. There has to be some cause that begins kind of the temporal effect that is the beginning of time and space so you need a timeless cause which brings about the beginning of the universe yeah and so really the only thing you've got there that can fit that is something that can freely choose to create the universe so okay. that, that's another reason why you, this cause needs to be personal it needs to be kind of um have this to to be able to exist timelessly but to bring about this temporal change yeah okay so um, i mean i i kind of get that um, but um, we've said that there's personal types of explanations and scientific types of explanations. Mm -hmm. I guess there could be another kind of explanation that we're not yeah, I suppose, yeah. aware of, I guess. Yeah. So, so let's let's think about some 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 possible objections to that cosmological kind of style of argument, uh, which is you know universe had a beginning, something must have caused it. The kind of cause um, must be powerful and outside of space and time. So, and that's that's what you know, for want of a better phrase at this point, we're putting the label God on. Yeah. Um, so you know the, the typical objection is well you've you've just created something called God mm -hmm. that sits outside the universe. What caused God? You know what, mm. what what is the cause for for that for God? Well, um, um, a response to that I suppose would be um, that asking the question of what caused this cause that we're describing is that you know by definition this cause is uncaused because it's um, it's a timeless explanation that's bringing about um, the, the entirety of time and space so um okay that, that's one thing the other thing to say would be that you could just keep on asking that same question well what caused the thing that caused the universe well what caused that well, what caused that and you're going to end up with an infinite regress and so there need there needs to be a, a kind of an, an uncaused absolute kind of first cause that that gives rise yeah. to yeah um all of the other possible explanations of things yeah i mean it's it's, it's an intriguing question because it you almost can't ask the question in the right terms because mm. to say what caused God, you're you're using a term cause, which is sort of inherent to our universe. You know, that with time and space, you have one thing happens that causes another thing to happen. Yeah. After that, after that, something else. Happens. And, and that's because we're in this space and time construct. Mm. And and so to say what caused God or what came before the universe kind of doesn't make sense as a question because yeah. there was no time before before the universe before so, the existence of time yeah yeah, yeah. so so it's it's sort of um by definition that first cause has to be something that is outside the bounds of time and therefore cause and effect is that 
Does that make sense? Yeah, I think yeah. often the objection feels of, you know, asking the question, what caused God is like, yeah. it comes from people's like views of what they think God is. If they think God is just some kind of, um, uh, you know, thing that, that isn't like, doesn't, uh, if you call it God, that can put people off, I suppose. And you kind of think, well, okay. what caused God? Yeah. But the yeah. idea is that the argument isn't really giving you God. It's giving you this cause, which mm. is uncaused and timeless and spaceless. Right. And so. And, that, that, and that's all it's arguing for. Although yeah. Although the Kalam version of the argument goes a little bit argument. further. Yeah. Um, for, for and I suppose, yes, the ob- objection to that is, well, that's pushing it a bit too far. The, you know, the basic premises of the argument um, don't get you as far as inferring a personal cause, is it? So, so I mean, let, let me just kind of phrase that objection a little a little better, okay. perhaps, which is that, you know, the... the 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 inference is that it's a it's a single personal agent. Ah, okay. And and I suppose the you know the objection could be well that's that's pushing it too far. It could be there could be a whole multitude of personal causes mm-hmm. um, that, that could be the, the first cause. Yeah. So so if you're suggesting that there are multiple kind of personal agents that are involved, then I suppose one one reason to kind of um, refute that or it would be to say that there's not really any good reason to multiply, you know, um, causes. There's no there's no reason to do that, that mm. actually a simpler okay. explanation is better. So I probably appeal to um, uh, that kind of principle of like, of, of kind of uh, yeah, that's what's a reasonable explanation. Yeah, Occam's razor. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's no good reason to postulate multiple uncaused causes that if there is one, one is kind of a simpler explanation, therefore it's a, it's a better explanation. Um, you could okay. also say that um, kind of the coherence and unity and like oneness of the universe, um, that which maybe we'll touch upon later, but that, that implies that there's a single kind of, uh, single mind creator kind of uh, behind it, okay. um, rather than many. Yeah, okay, I get that. So, so because the universe has that universal coherence, yeah. uh, suggests a single agent. Okay, cool. Okay, so that's that's a little bit about the cosmological argument in its uh, simplest forms and some of its some of its complications. Yes. Um, so let's let's move on to the second argument. What uh, what do you want to uh, talk to us about as the second? Okay, so the second type of argument, um, or, or type the, the second type of arguments is is called the tele- teleological arguments. So okay. another fancy word. <laughs> but, um, so these arguments, we're moving away from thinking about um, an, uh, an explanation of the entire universe and thinking more about the way in which the universe exists. So talking talking about um, the kind of this the appearance of, of design that's perceived in the natural world. So that our world is is immensely ordered and coherent and and complex. And um, I suppose the argument really on its very simplest form is saying, you know, is that just one huge coincidence or is there some kind of explanation for this incredible order that we find in the universe? And the argument suggesting, well, the best explanation for this very ordered appearance of design yeah. world is that there is an intelligent, um, coherent mind behind it that has yeah. designed it. Yeah. Um, so, so that's yeah. So essentially, the premise is that things that have complexity and order, mm. um, uh, features of design, have a designer. Yeah. And the universe has kind of complexity and, and, and yeah. order. Um, and, and therefore, we infer from that that there is a designer. So, what, what sort of characteristics of the of the universe display such order and in complexity? Um, so, well, I suppose you could, there's a there's a there's a type of teleological argument known as the fine tuning argument, and essentially that says that there are um, scientists have discovered. Um, 
these kind of laws of nature and laws of physics, which um, when they are um, kind of presented in kind of mathematical equations, they contain certain um, like values, specific values, constants. So. Yeah. Um, like the like the con- gravitational constant, the law that okay. kind of describes gravity the as in it within speed it, of light, precise, and yeah, things like that. yeah, yeah, things yeah. like that. So there are these kind of very finely tuned, precise constants that that um, um, are part of these um, laws of, of nature. Um, and the laws of nature also work upon upon like uh, kind of they're, they're what governing the, the physical kind of natural world. And so the, the other point would be that there are also um, quantities. Um, that um, define the initial conditions of the universe, so on which these laws operate. So that would be like, say, like the amount of entropy. And these are also things that are incredibly finely tuned, that there's a certain amount of something. Um, so that these constants and quantities um, are uh, precise. And the argument of fine-tuning is that um, how do you, exp- you know, what, what, what the question would be, what, what it best explains the fact that these constants and quantities are so precise um, and, and kind of finely tuned well it could be like we've already talked about but it could be that um it's chance it could be that they've been designed that that there's a um yeah yeah they've been designed and i suppose the other option is that they kind of they just have to exist they just have to be what they are but uh, both the real problems with kind of saying uh what explains this incredible fine tuning of the universe is chance or or that they have to be those numbers i mean they could easily be um you know the, the gravitational constant could have been yeah. uh slightly larger or slightly yeah. smaller and the point is is that these um these constants and quantities that are precisely what they are are um cause uh this immensely kind of finely tuned life permitting balance so they are if, if they if you were to change those finely tuned constants or quantities like in a tiny bit um it would have a massive impact yeah. on kind of the world and li- and life would not be able to kind of exist yeah. in the way that it does and and it, i guess it's the it's not just one constant that no, needs no. to be finely tuned there's there's a whole range of them and they need to be right in relation to each other yeah um in, in order for stability stable universe to to exist so yeah okay so, um okay so so yeah, the, the argument is, well, what, what explains that? Um, and those are kind of, those seem to be three kind of reasonable options, chance, physical necessity, that they have to be that, or um, uh, design. And or a, a designer. Yeah. A designer, yeah. So it seems to me that, like, to appeal to physical necessity just d- doesn't, it's just strange to say that they have, mm. to, you have no good reason to say it's they good. have to be this number. Yeah. Or it it's it's almost be. a circular argument in itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, then as, and, and chance, I mean, as much as it's kind of, it it's a, it is a logical option. It, it seems far less reasonable to just say, oh, there's all of these constants and quantities just happened to randomly fall into exactly what they were yeah. in order to kind of have this life-permitting universe. Um, it's yeah. so, so tiny, the, the, the kind of the odds of that happening, that it's far more reasonable to say, well, actually, maybe there is a mind behind the universe that has kind of set these constants and quantities and kind of that's what explains these laws that okay. govern the, the natural so- world. So that so that's the, the basic argument. It's about finely tuned design and, and order and complexity in, in the universe, inferring or implying the existence of an intelligent designer. You've already referred to what would be the principal objection to that argument, which is, well, chance can also produce the appearance of design if, you, if you've if you got enough time. And in this case, 
if you're talking about the fundamentals of our universe. In order for that to have happened by chance, you, you need lots of universes in which those values are being chosen at, at random, and um, one of them happens to be the one that works. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the sort of multiverse okay. concept. So, so that that would, I guess, be the the main objection to that teleological argument. Um, so, what can we say about that? Well, it kind of seems like um, that this this idea of kind of many universe existing is kind of it's is deliberately invented to make the option of chance seem more reasonable, which I suppose it does. But the problem yeah. with it is that there's just no uh, there's just no evidence for the fact that other universes exist. It it just metaphor was just imagination so yeah. um uh, but not only that but if you think about you know there's some kind of mechanism or thing out there that's kind of conjuring up all of these many universes one of which happens to be our highly ordered universe i mean mm. what explains that you know what, what what there's something out there making all these universes um and that universe that sorry that kind of universe making machine would would itself have to be like really highly finely tuned to be able to kind of um and, and and it would need a cause. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so which brings uh, so you, back, so you're back to the cosmological argument. Yeah. Uh, and a sort of infinite regress uh, yeah. problem. Yeah. Okay. Um, so those those two arguments, uh, the cosmological argument, you know, about the beginning of the universe uh, and the first cause, and the teleological argument about fine tuning and, and, and apparent design and order um, in implying a designer. Th those two arguments are all about kind of the physical nature of the universe in which we we find ourselves uh, and the, the matter and so on around us, space, time, and so on. So let's move on to the third argument because that's a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah. So the the third argument that we we're going to talk about would be the moral argument for the existence of God. So, like you say, we're moving away from kind of thinking about the universe, like what's out there, to something that seems it, it's much more kind of personal. It's and this argument is essentially saying that God's existence um, is what best explains the existence of objective morality. So um, we all kind of have this deep sense of you know, um, good and bad. Human beings have this deep kind of innate sense of kind of things that are good and things that are bad and um, things like, uh, you know, things like love and kindness and uh justice all seem to us to be not just things that we think are good they they, they feel objectively good that that they would be good in any kind of possible world you could conjure up they'd all it's they don't those things would always be good and likewise things like murder and rape and those kind of those kind of behaviors yeah. are feel evil to us they feel objectively wrong that it's um know always uh, an evil thing to kind of commit murder it's not just it's not just a, a yeah. subjective so that kind of deep sense of of morality that we have um which is also it's not just that i mean human beings disagree on right and wrong well, this has a good yeah point yeah make, but, you know it's not say like that. everyone <laughs> yeah, yeah everyone doesn't agree <laughs> but what we're talking about i suppose is more general standards of morality and what the remarkable thing is that we you know cross-culturally and universally we have this deep sense of um some things are just wrong objectively and really wrong and some things are really good um and this kind of exists um i suppose this is what the argument's doing it's appealing to say that's not that's not something which is um a trick that's something that's real and every human being has that deep sense that it is a real thing okay so the argument is saying well 
where does that come from? What this objective kind of moral law um, of this kind of sense that there are actually right things and there are wrong things. Um, okay. Where does that come from? And, and the argument is, well, God is the best explanation. There's a moral, there is a kind of standard of kind of goodness that exists outside of the world that is... Um, yeah gives rise to this objective morality that human beings have discovered kind of um yeah just that things are right and things are wrong and, and on a naturalistic worldview i suppose there's not really any good reason to kind of ground that object objective sense okay of morality. so so when we're saying objective that that's not saying that everybody agrees these things are right and these things are wrong no because they don't it it no it's it's almost one step removed from that in that everyone has the sense that there are some things Mm. that are right and there are some things that are are definitely wrong even if there's even if there's disagreement on, on on what those things might be, so um, and it's you know while a natural kind of evolutionary argument might explain why some um, altruistic things are good, yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't really explain why we feel they're good or wrong mm. or, or, or right um, because if they come about through natural selection, it would be a sort of instinctive thing, I guess. Yeah. So, so we're talking about this as a universal feature of the human human condition, the human mm. human experience. But what what does that where does that argument go? Where, where does that where does that lead us as a possible explanations as to where that comes from? Um, I suppose what what is kind of uh, what is kind of suggesting is that this need for a an objective um, kind of uh, something that's ex- something that's not part of kind of the natural world. Something because because I suppose morality doesn't really come from material things. Nature, it comes from yeah. minds, yeah. So yeah. so I mean that that it's human beings who have minds that can kind of that think this that have this deep sense of kind of morality. So there, there needs the argument is saying that there needs to be some kind of uh, um, grounding for this 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 morality, and and so there exists this uh, objective um, standard of good this uh, like a metaphysical kind of embodiment of kind of goodness personal (laughs) embodiment of goodness which which isn't necessarily god but but it but it is there there needs to be this standard which is where where we kind of get a sense of it from as we talk about the possible causes for some of these things we're Mm. we're inevitably talking about we're using the term god in some ways but yeah but the the classic objection to the moral argument would be that you don't need God for morality. You don't yeah. need God for people to do good things. Um, mm. And you know, how, how how do we respond to well, that? that? That's that's absolutely true. I mean that. Yeah. Like I mean, the people who don't believe in God can be very good and moral people, and there are many people that yeah. don't believe in God who are very good and moral people. That's not really what the argument's saying. It's saying that that it's arguing a grounds for these people that are leading moral lines to kind of moral lives to to, to ground. Um, the reason why they can call it, you know, their actions good. objectively yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. And, and and I suppose the fact that both atheists and theists yeah. have have that sense of what is right and wrong and bit and maybe choose to behave in ways that are good possibly contributes to the argument uh, that it, it's it's something universal to human beings that needs an explanation. Yeah, yeah. I suppose yeah. even people that, that yeah. don't actually believe in objective morality, that people that believe in uh, kind of moral relativism, they still act as if objective yeah. moral values exist yeah. because they yeah. still say that's wrong and that's right. And, yeah. you know, they yeah. feel it, that things yeah. are wrong and things are good, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've covered our three arguments. Um, so let, let's just kind of 
try and try and wrap up and and, and draw some kind of conclusion. So, so where do you think those three arguments get us to? We've, we've got the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, and the moral argument. So where, do, where does that leave us? Um, so I, I think that you know, we've only looked at those three arguments, but none of those arguments are actually leading you to uh, like the Christian God of the Bible. That's, that's not what they're designed to do. That's not what they're trying to show. They're, they're, okay. They are, um, and in some ways, you know, taken by themselves, they don't, you know, they're, they're, um, they don't necessarily lead to um, the kind of the full of um, idea of kind of a, a God. But it's it's the cumulative case that like these arguments built together, um, you've got a, a kind of a moral standard of goodness with a moral argument. You've got um, uh, a reason for the, you know, an all powerful kind of uh, all powerful, infinite kind of spaceless, timeless cause and, and yeah. something that also has uh, a mind that has kind of got intelligence and coherence that it can des- you know this design the world with the teleological cosmological argument so you know all of these things together give you this idea of a, a personal morally good um designer creator um of the universe i mean that that's that's basically that what people think of as god even though it doesn't yeah. give you the christian god of, of, of so when so when you sort of put together the 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 best explanations for each of those yeah. three things that we've looked at, the, the characteristics that you come up with, the features that you end up describing, mm. essentially sound very much like the concept God. of God. Yeah, yeah, what pretty much everyone yeah. knows as the concept yeah, yeah. of God. Yeah. Um, I mean, do they, do they get do they get us to certainty about that? Though, um, that's a good question, and and not no, I suppose is the answer. Mm. Is that their arguments? That's a shame. Well, <laughs> I suppose it is. Yeah, they they are arguments which are appealing to God as being the best explanation for things, and okay. people have to make up their minds about that. I mean, in some ways, you can't really you can't really prove most things yeah. you know, to absolute certainty. Like anything, you know, with all decisions in life, you've got to make a decision. And so, I, but the, the the kind of the power of these arguments, at least to me, is that they are in their simplest form. Like we said at the beginning, they're so they seem so intuitive, and they seem like they really are giving you God as the best explanation for for the these kind of aspects of of the world and, and how we perceive mm. it and how we uh, perceive ourselves as well. Yeah, and, and in combination, you, you you've got them building on each other. Yeah. To um to support that best explanation. Okay. Well, I, I think we'll we'll try and we'll wrap it up there. Thanks very much for uh, being part of this conversation and taking us through those those arguments. It's always always interesting to to think about these things. And I'll I'll just finish off, I guess, with with some references to the Bible. I know we said we didn't, we weren't going to do that, but um, but I think it's good to just just end on. We yeah. looked at three arguments. You know, the cosmological argument is all about some timeless, um, powerful thing maybe a personal thing that uh, that was the cause of the, the beginning of the universe and you know god is described in the bible as he is from everlasting to everlasting it's kind of about as as good as you can get in ancient language of describing something that's outside time um the teleological argument was all about the um the you know looking at the attributes the order complexity in in, yeah. in the natural world around us and seeing a designer behind that. Paul, in writing to the Romans, says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So that's that's kind of that argument in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the, the moral argument, the, you know, the source of the sense of morality that seems to be universal to the human experience coming from a moral um, uh, 
lawgiver, if you like. You know, God's character is described when he appears to Moses in Exodus as a God who is merciful and gracious, forgiving iniquity, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So God who is clearly interested in morality. So so that's that's where we'll finish. Thanks again, Sam, for, uh, for, thanks, for this conversation. And thanks for those that are, are, are listening. And uh, we will um, be with you again soon. listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think, hear your questions or subjects you'd like to discuss. So get in touch with us uh, through our Facebook page or send us a message on our website at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey.